Welcome back to The Table Women, a podcast by and about women in the entertainment industry. I'm Sarah DeFores. And I'm Victoria Banks. It's season three, and we've got so many wonderful conversations and creators of all kinds to share with you. You know the drill. Pull up a chair and get nice and comfy, because everyone is welcome and everyone deserves a seat at The, the table. table. Do what you want, work what you got, say what you think, and don't let them stop you. Stop you. Don't, don't let them stop Stop you. Don't, don't let them stop you. Originally from Minnesota, the now Nashville-based artist Anna Mae is an alt-pop gem that stands out with her alternative edge and a unique voice that you've been craving and have probably already heard on TV. She's had her music used in over 150 different film and TV placements, including a Toyota Super Bowl commercial, The Bachelorette, Orange is the New Black, and the theme song for Reese Witherspoon's show, Shine On. She's a signed writer with Prescription Songs and is currently in the process of creating her upcoming and first full-length album, which we can expect in 2021. Welcome to the table, Anna Mae. All right, we have Anna Mae in the house today and we are so excited. Um, I feel like, Anna, your name is one that I've heard around town pretty much since I started working here. And I only ever heard people say such wonderful things about you, about your talent, about your work all of that stuff and you also have a team that's really unique that's mostly women um which is so interesting we'll get into that but i feel like you are someone that is so nice to have on here because it's really i wouldn't say rare but it's really a standout to have someone be known as just like the all around all around really amazing person to work with um, so we're very happy to have you hanging out with us today welcome thank you you're so sweet <laughs> that means so much and just made my day already so oh so glad well and we we got coffee a couple weeks ago and we've known each other just like socially around but I don't think ever had really like sat down and mm -hmm. hung out and I was like oh my gosh she's so nice this is amazing and you had such wonderful things to say about the industry and the way you work and and your ethic when it comes to your own stuff. So we're excited to get into it. But for anyone who doesn't um, know you, can you give us a little background about how you started in the industry and what you're working on now? Yeah. So, well, thank you again for saying all those sweet things. I loved getting coffee. It's like always a, such a highlight when you meet anyone in the industry that you can like click with and get along with and be encouraged by but especially when it's women I'm like okay cool like how can we work together how can we cheer each other on and what we're doing so that makes me happy um but I grew up in Minnesota and grew up on a small like hobby farm in Minnesota and was there until I was 18 and when I graduated high school I moved to Nashville I hadn't visited Belmont before but I knew I was like I'm moving to Nashville no matter what to do music if I get into the school I'll just go there otherwise I'll end up there regardless um and I got into Belmont so I moved and ended up um going there and I kind of thought between once I decided I'm gonna move away from Minnesota and pursue music once I knew that I was trying to decide between LA or Nashville. And I think for me, Nashville, since I grew up on farm in a small town, it felt like a good in-between step because I think LA just sounded a little bit too intimidating. Um, and so, and I had been here a couple different times. There's, his name is Dennis Morgan. He's a, I don't know how old he is now, probably like in his seventies or something. He's an old country writer. Yeah. Um, do you know him, Victoria? I do, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So he's from the same, like, tiny, tiny town that my dad grew up in in Minnesota. And he was, uh, I don't know, maybe like 10 years older than my dad or something. But my dad had this memory of going on the school bus and um, Dennis Morgan getting on when they were, like, in high school. And then... Dennis like dropping out of school and it was like this big thing that this guy had dropped out of school and I think he like hitchhiked his way down to Nashville and he was like I'm gonna be a writer and so that was my dad's only real memory of him but then Dennis ended up buying the farm that he had grown up on back in Tracy Minnesota um and I saw cousins that lived there and they 
had friends that mowed his lawn when he was out of town. And so (laughs) this is kind of like a long roundabout way of how I ended up here. But they, I was, I had like started to do a little bit of music at home in Minnesota um, because I had started playing guitar just because I knew I wanted to write, I wanted to sing. And so I felt like I needed an instrument to be able to do that. Um, and so I started doing that and I had entered the high school talent show when I was a freshman because I was terrified, but my mom and sister were like, no, you have to do it. Like you've been playing all these covers up in your room. Like you should enter it and do it. Um, and so I did that and won the like people's choice, like everyone there got to vote. And so that was the first thing I was like, oh my gosh. Maybe I can, maybe I can actually do music. Maybe I'm actually good. Um, and so I recorded this. Now I can look back and be like, probably really shitty EP. <laughs> but I recorded something when I was like 15 or 16. And um, the people that mowed the lawn of Dennis, they gave the EP to him because they're like, there's this girl that we kind of know that lives in Minnesota and she's really good and Dennis called me like one random day and I was so I was so starstruck because (laughs) I mean like most other places you don't know anyone with any connection to someone famous or I don't know anything like that and so he called me and he we talked on the phone and he just was like really encouraging and told me if you ever come down to Nashville let me know and we can meet up So I think because of that, kind of that spurred on my first thing of even thinking about Nashville. Um, And I was like, well, I got to go down there because that's the only person I know in the industry at all. So I'll just go down there and meet him and see what comes from it. Um, So that's a very long. That's so cool. (laughs) Well, just I'm I'm just I'm remembering Dennis Morgan and who he is. Mm -hmm. And so so he wrote um, I was country when country wasn't cool for Barbara Mandrell. Mm -hmm. And he wrote Smoky Mountain Rain for Ronnie Millsap. And I knew you were waiting for me that big duet between Aretha Franklin and George Michael. So and a bunch of, you know, like Faith Hill, a whole Mm -hmm. bunch of stuff. All for one. He's he's he had a ton of cuts. So I love that. I love hearing a story like that when it's like somebody who had success, who discovered you and the way that it got into his hands through the people that mowed his lawn. This is how history is made in music is just these little tiny connections that fate strings together and people just putting themselves on the line for other people and um what a cool way to to get your start yeah um yeah so tell us about your experience as as a woman in the music industry so far what has it been like for you and um has it been an easy road a hard road um what's it been like um I would say a little of both for sure I think that the longer I'm in it, the more people I work with, I'm sure y'all have found the same thing, the more I'm able to do, find the distinction between, oh, maybe this happened because I was a woman, or maybe that's just how this person acts and is, and that's how they treat people. I think when I first moved here, like all of us, for the most part, it's like we haven't really worked with anyone, we don't know what to expect, we're usually over eager to be liked and to be handed whatever opportunity we can possibly get. And so I think at that point you, you're you just like, oh, that's normal. That's fine. Whatever. That's cool. And then you work with more people and you're like, oh, that's, that's what a really awesome guy is to work with. And those other people I worked with weren't. And you kind of can weren't. find the <laughs> distinction between some of that. For sure. Interesting. Yeah, that's true. It takes a little while to to be like, wait, I maybe I should not have been okay with that. Yeah. But yeah. I didn't know at the time. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Of like, oh, maybe they didn't need to put me down in that way. Or maybe they shouldn't have talked to me like that. And I wish we could, I wish it was ingrained in us to know all of those things already. But um, I think it does at least for me, it's taken some just working with different people and realizing whether it's men or women, just realizing what is, um, 
what's a good way to be treated and what isn't. When you were when you were younger, sorry, I want to hear the rest of this, but it just made me so curious because um, I find that a lot of people with similar backgrounds have the same thing that I did where you start out and you come from a small town where there's no music industry, where you're probably the person that everyone thinks of when they think of music. You have nothing to base anything off of. We're all nodding like, yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, that was me. Like, yes. um, <laughs> and, and for me, the closest thing I had to base any kind of information, like knowledge of the music industry on was those E! True Hollywood stories and like any kind of like entertainment tonight or some kind of interview that that uh, idol of yours did. And I think part of it is just learning the industry. Part of that is just learning who and how to trust and work with people. But I know that part of it for me, watching all of those things and that being the only thing to base my information off of made me a lot more tolerant of negative treatment early on because I feel like a lot of those are like, if you can't take the heat, get out of the kitchen and like, it's a dog eat dog world out here, like that kind of really aggressive thing. And there are parts of the industry like that, but it took me a while to realize like, oh, you don't have to really struggle in your collaboration. You don't have to always be on the defensive with the people that you work with. Um, so I'm curious if you, if that, was a part of your story or what kind of information you had about the industry to base your experience off of before you actually got into it? Yeah. I mean, I feel like similar to you, it would have just been whatever I saw on TV really growing up or whatever random things I read in a magazine. Um, and that's also probably one reason I was swayed away from LA because I'd heard, you know, how difficult it was and how cutthroat it was. Um, and I, just hadn't honestly heard that much about Nashville in general. And so I think I didn't associate it with those same kind of things. Um, but yeah, I feel like definitely had heard that a lot. And I think, I don't know if this is the same for everyone, but I think also I had just assumed that it was that in general, if you were in entertainment, it was very cutthroat and people weren't like, it was just everyone is competition all the time. And I would say even though I grew up in a small town, it still felt like that, whether it was whether it's music or whether it's sports or whatever. It's, it felt like everyone's kind of always like, well, how can I be better than this person? How can I be better than this person? And I think that was something that after I spent a little bit of time in Nashville, well, especially even moving, like going to Belmont as a freshman, everyone's doing music it's like if you're gonna tear people down you're gonna have no friends and no one's gonna want to work with you and you're gonna hate your life and so I think being thrown into that pretty quickly I realized like oh we maybe we're competition in some ways but we're also all bringing something different to the table we're all like doing our own thing and we're going to all be a lot more successful and a lot more happy if we can cheer each other on and encourage each other, which is very different than what I grew up, I think, believing. Yeah. Well, when did you start to feel like you were coming into your own as a creative person? Um, like this year, kind of. <laughs> yes, <laughs> now, that's amazing. Like today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think there's been, uh, there's been phases of that and... Um, when I moved here, I just was writing on guitar and just doing little acoustic coffee shop sets and rounds and stuff. And so I was, and just writing by myself, and I liked a lot of the stuff I was writing. I just didn't know how to have it recorded in a way that I wanted. And I honestly didn't know what genre it would be and what genre it would fit into. Because um, I think a lot of the stuff I grew up listening to that was female was a lot of either top 40 pop which that was not the style of song I was writing on my guitar it just wasn't and so a lot of what would be on the radio would be like Nora Jones or Sarah McLachlan and so I think I was like well maybe that's kind of my lane but I don't even know what you call that and I don't know how to explain that and I don't even know if that's for sure what I want to be doing um, so I think it's been a continued process of figuring out what do I want my stuff to sound like and 
Um, I think whenever, whenever I write a song that just like clicks and I love it, or there's production on a song that clicks, I think that always feels like a whole nother thing of, oh, okay, that, that makes sense. That totally makes sense that I would love how this song sounds because of this stuff that I grew up listening to and this thing. And I think it's a constant like stepping into, um, stepping into myself as a creative that's cool. And that's a great answer. I, I still feel that way in my late 40s after being here writing for like 23 years now and writing every day. And it's like you keep surprising yourself with what you do next. And that's the cool thing. I want to keep surprising myself till the day I'm in my grave, yeah. <laughs> which you can do as a creative person. Yeah. That's what's so cool about mm-hmm. it, right? It's our job to figure out who we are and then like what we like and evolve and change and that's beautiful. Well, I, I want to go back a little bit to, because I cut you off a little bit to ask a question, but um, I do want to hear more about your experience because you, you were talking about learning who and how to work with people and what that's like for you as a woman versus what it's like for everybody. So you get to Nashville, you're at Belmont, you're studying the music business, you're getting kind of your feet on the ground and your your toes wet and and collaborating and doing all these things. Um, What has that evolution since you were in school to then becoming a writer and an artist and getting signed and putting out your own music. What did that look like for you and what kinds of experiences did you have? Yeah. So when I, so I studied music business in Belmont, I just heard a lot of horror stories about people getting themselves in awful deals. And I knew I didn't want that to happen to me. I don't really know theory like my brain doesn't click in that way very well. Same. Um, and I, but I, as like a business person, I feel like my brain definitely gravitates that way with a lot of things. And so I wanted to learn that. And I knew it's like the chances of me actually making it are pretty slim. And then I'll at least have a business degree to fall back on. <laughs> so I was like, well, just that'll be my like plan B if I need to. Um, and so... While I was in school, I was playing around and doing that. And then after I graduated, well, I guess my last year of school, I, um, we had to do different business, like music business internships. And the one that I did for my last year of school was at a Christian music publicity company. Um, and so I interned there for a little bit and then they hired me so then that was kind of like my full last year of school was I was working with them and there was a lot of really cool things we did like we brought our clients to the Grammys and got to go to the Grammys and do that stuff and photo shoots and those things that I obviously love and so that part was really cool but most of the time it was sitting behind a desk doing things I really hated doing (laughs) and I, um, like I said, I do like doing the business part of things, but I like doing it if I feel passionate about exactly, like, obviously I feel passionate about my own career. Therefore, it's more fun to do those things. But I just, working that job, I was like, I can't, I feel too drained doing this. And so I would rather... I'd rather quit this and risk music not happening, but at least have energy to write and to sing and to play shows. I just was too drained to do any of that in general. And so um, when I graduated, they'd offered me a full-time job. Instead, I just quit working there altogether and started um, nannying. There was a few years then of nannying, hostessing, waitressing, and... um, I think that was really good because it felt like when I was done with work, I could turn it off and I could go home and write or I could do writes during the day with different people. Because at this point, I was also just learning how to co-write because I was really terrified of doing that in general. Um I can still make myself scared of doing that, even though I do that all the time. (laughs) I come from the same background. I totally get it. And so I, being in Nashville, it kind of seemed like, oh, that's what you got to do if you're going to do music here. Like, you got to co-write. And so 
I was starting to do that. And so when I graduated, it just was, yeah, a few years of co-writing with any random person I would meet at around and just talk to them after they played or they'd come up and talk to me after I played and setting up a session at one of our places and and nannying and waitressing. That's really insightful of you to make that decision at such a young age to know this is not what I want to do, even though there's all, I mean, you're going to the Grammys and stuff. This is a big deal. That's a big thing to say no to. You have to really know yourself and trust your instincts to do that. Do you feel like you have had a good feel about your instincts even as a child, is that something you grew up with a good sense of who you are and what you want and willing to risk to be to defend that and, and protect that? Um, I think so. I think that if I'm in a healthier place in general, then I feel like I can, then I know what my gut is telling me and then I can go with that. If I'm not in a healthy place in general, then I feel like I have no idea what's going on in the world and don't know what decisions to make. But I think... Um, I've been journaling since I was in third grade. I have like two huge bins at my house of just dozens of journals. (laughs) And that's always been a huge way for me to process different things, whether it's just a random day or whether it's a big decision or career decision or something like that, to be able to talk through it without necessarily talking to a person. Sometimes talking to a person is helpful, but sometimes I just, I don't want someone else's input. I'm going to trust my own better and to just be able to kind of write things out and be like, okay, what am I feeling about this? What are the pros and cons? And I think with that decision, I mean, I remember journaling about it at Severe Park and being like, okay, well, if I stay at this job, it's stable. It is a cool job. Like this is the kind of job people go to school to get. And it is in the music industry, which is part of the goal and thinking about that, but then also thinking like, I think I would rather be broke and know that I at least tried to do what I wanted to do. And also I don't love this job and it is a cool job. And that means there are other people who would love this job and be so much better at it than I am. And I'm just not the right fit. And so I think that was kind of journaling definitely for me was a big way to make a lot of decisions, but especially that. It's interesting how often people make decisions by not choosing. Mm -hmm. So like that would have been the next step, right? To take that job that was on the table for you. And, and people sometimes don't think about the fact that by not consciously choosing purposefully choosing you are actually making a choice and you would have been maybe making a choice to leave behind your artistry in order to do that and I think that happens with so many people they kind of just keep walking down the road with the next stone that's put in front of them and don't make a conscious choice to go in the direction that they want to go so uh, kudos to you you. (laughs) for doing that and I love that you said part of you achieved part of the dream because that is, I think, such a big pitfall people get into. They get here and they get a job. My One of my best friends, we were walking Music Row, not like last week, and we walked by um, a really big company she used to work for, um, and, but she's a writer. And she was like, when I got here, I was so close and I used to stare at XYZ Publishing Company and I used to watch their big writer go in and out every day and fantasize and she was just like, when I left, I just kept thinking, okay, God, like you got me on Music Row, but it was my dream is a slightly different kind of on Music Row. So I'm gonna leave this company and go try it. And I think so many people get caught up in, maybe this is the best I'm ever gonna get, so I might as well just settle. And there's nothing wrong with the industry job, but like you said, so many people, that is their dream to have that job. And if your dream is something else, it's kind of to your detriment and the other person's detriment to not try it out. And I also love that you talked about when you're not in a great headspace, what your outlook on your career and how you function um, is different than when you are in a great space. We talk a lot about mental health. So um, what does that look like for you? How does that change and, and what kind of things have you experienced? We've had people that run all different ends of the spectrum and it affects everybody's life differently, but we talked about it a little bit and I think we're similar in, in how it 
um, and I think Victoria too, how the way that your mental state is really changes how you look at your career and the things that you're um, interested in. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it it totally changes, I think, how I see myself or how I see my career and just life in general, if I'm in a good headspace or not. I think forever, for me, that that has been, for me personally, it's been journaling and talking to God and hiking, being outside. Like, those are the things that give me clarity and help me feel like I know what's going on in my life. And um, even now, if I'm being, like, moody or insecure or down on myself, my husband will be like, I think you need to go hike. Do you need to go hike? I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I do. You're right. It's been a few days. Um, but even moving to Nashville, like I had been dating a guy for pretty much all of high school. It was a very toxic, unhealthy relationship. And I think that was the first time that I got in a really depressed, bad headspace and just had, I just had felt like I completely lost myself. I didn't even, I wasn't thinking I was going to go and pursue music, even though it was what I had always wanted to do. It just, I was so, like, beat up and such, I don't know. I just was in such a bad headspace, I couldn't have even imagined leaving at that point. And then it was kind of like rock bottom hit, and me and him broke up in the middle of my senior year. And I felt so low that I was like, I'm gonna, to make it through this, I need to, I need to be just feeling completely different. Like I need all the confidence I need to get through this. I'm going to have to like really stand up and work hard and like just do the things at that point where you're like, okay, I'm going to go and see my friends. I'm going to work on the things I like working on and I'm going to take care of myself and do the things I like doing. And because of that, that's when I was like, okay, cool. Like I am going to take the step and move to Nashville. Had I stayed in a bad headspace, like I would never have even moved here. I wouldn't be doing this. Cause I think for me, it's like, if I'm not mentally healthy, I right away feel insecure. And I feel like I don't even know how to process my own thoughts. And, um, and I feel like to do just live a happy life. I feel like you being confident helps and knowing how you feel about life helps but also to be in our industry to move away from home to be your own champion in a city where no one really cares at least initially it's like you have to be you have to be confident you have to be um at least have enough moments of feeling like mentally stable and healthy and strong to power through that otherwise it's so easy to just be like, okay, I just want to go home. I just want to be done with this. And I've had many times where I'm like, I just want to quit. Like, I don't want to do this. <laughs> yeah. I remember I I had um, a friend come to visit Nashville one time and she looked around after the weekend. She was like, I could not live here. And I was like, why? And she said, because there's too many beautiful, amazing women in this city. And I would feel bad about oh. myself. And I was like, oh, that's terrible. But it's true. Right. I mean, you, you have to have a sense of who you are and some confidence or else you can get all in your head about that because you're here with so many people who are just like stars in the making who have that sort of thing about them, right? Yeah, so, totally. um, what have your relationships been like with the women that you've worked with? Have you worked with a lot of women over the years and, and what's that dynamic been like? Yes, thankfully in the last few years, I feel like as I've, as music has become not just a dream I'm pursuing, but also like my financial means and a real job for me, I feel like that's when I've been able to work with a lot of women, which has been really cool. Um, because I'd been writing with random people, guys and girls, and from that, a woman named Wendy Duffy, who lives in town and owns a company called Resonate, she heard my voice, and she she was, like, my first real champion that, like, my life has forever changed because of her, and she brought me in because she's like, I heard your voice, and I feel like it could... I feel like you could do film and TV because that's the main thing her company does is um, she does more than that now. But especially at that time, it just was getting songs in commercials or movie trailers or shows. And um, and so she had brought me in. I didn't know really anything about that world, but she had just said, 
Like, would you, to fund your own artistry, to fund the things you really want to make, like, you can write some songs and sing some of these things and make money that way instead of waitressing and nannying would you rather do that I was like yes I would definitely rather write (laughs) and sing and make money that way so she set me up on my first co-write with a producer because before that was all just like acoustic voice memo things um and she set me up like with awesome people that I had known their their names um Joe Williams and Sam Tenez because they kill it in the tv and film world and uh, she set me up with them on my first session with a producer or anything and I think to me that meant a lot because I'm like this lady hardly even knows me I she knows I have not worked with any people in this realm I've never done like a let's write and record all in one day kind of thing and that she trusted she like trusted me and like felt good enough about me to put me in a room with these people who were very seasoned and knew what they were doing. I think that said a lot to me. And she like pumped me up before this session and was like, oh, it's going to be awesome. Like you're going to kill it. You guys are going to write about this. And she then got us like my first placement a few weeks later. And it was for a commercial for The Voice that was going to be running during the Summer Olympics that year. And that was, like, my first win. And I think it is really cool that it came from a woman who was and still is such a big champion of me. Um, And so that was really cool. And then also the through that, my publisher, Prescription Songs, that's kind of how they had heard of me was some of the film and TV stuff that I started doing. And Katie Fagan, who leads the prescription office in Nashville. She was in LA at the time and she reached out to me about um, wanting to sign me to prescription songs. And that was also just, I didn't even believe it was real when they reached out. Um, <laughs> You're like, someone's joking. This yeah, is crazy. <laughs> yeah, I literally was like, this can't, this can't be right. Like they work with all these people. There's no way I don't, I think this is a scam. And then had like a real phone conversation with her and other people from the team. I was like, how is this real? It's crazy. Um, But most of the team at Prescription, both LA and Nashville, are women. There's awesome guys that work there too, but um, it's been a lot of just awesome, badass, strong women that have been very encouraging. And so I'm very thankful for the opportunity to work with so many women that are inspiring and that like they've paved their own way in whatever lane they're in whether that's making their own licensing company and doing that better than I think I've ever seen it done or running a huge publishing company and doing that with so many other women they've all been very inspiring and just really big cheerleaders There's a natural allyship that happens from women to women a lot of the time that it's even if they're not going out of their way to help each other, it's just natural because you have so many common experiences in life and you just gravitate towards working with the same kind of person as you are or helping the same kind of person that you can relate to and you can see why Nashville traditionally or the business traditionally has been so male dominated because I'm sure the same thing happens on the male side of the coin. It's like if you're a dude and you have a certain dude background and you meet a dude that you really like and you want to help that dude, you know? So it's kind of like it's cool to see that happening on the female side, uh, specifically with prescription too. It seems to bring a little bit more to the table for for women. Totally. And I think it's like it's cool because because if a lot of the company or a lot of my contacts at prescription or at these different companies are women, it is nice when when they're your publisher, they're setting you up on sessions to be able if I know I can call them and be like, mm, this guy was kind of weird. I don't like this felt weird and iffy. I felt uncomfortable. They're going to be like, cool, you're never working with him again. Also, none of our people are ever working with him again. And I've seen that happen, which means a lot because I know that what I what I'm telling them that they value it because they're taking it seriously and that they are very understanding of like 
we don't want anyone to feel that way. And we are your ally, so we're going to protect you and protect people moving forward from working with this person or being in this scenario. That's a really big deal, too, because this business is so... It's really hard to detangle your personal stuff from professional stuff, from how other people feel about somebody, from how this person is like, I didn't have that experience. And, you know, that is also often really different between women and men. And that is such a big point that if if anyone listening, if you're not in the music industry, you're not in an industry that's really tied personally and professionally together, that is such a big thing. It reminds me of our Busby episode. Um, I was about to say freshman year, uh, season one. Uh, <laughs> freshman year, freshman of, our year podcast. of our podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> we've grown so much. Uh, <laughs> um, and, and how Liv Moraldi was saying that she had a session um, in LA where it wasn't necessarily that someone made her feel uncomfortable in a creepy way, but she felt really steamrolled and, and uncomfortable creatively. And she she kind of was like, oh yeah, it was fine. And Busby was like, no, no, I can hear that something is not right. And, he, and she told him, and he was like, okay, cool. You're never going back there again. It's totally fine. We're not doing that. You don't ever have to do that. Let me know if anyone makes you feel that way. And just knowing that you have somebody that's going to listen to you and believe you and actually take action is amazing and it makes me curious how um those kinds of experience experiences come out in your work because listening to your work it's very empowerment based a lot of the stuff that's out especially the sync stuff the first thing i ever heard from you was single-minded and i was like this is such a bop this is so good and and i feel like you are really that person you're so kind but you're also so confident and you at least with the things that you put out from what I've seen from you really have an empowerment based message. Um, what does that look like for you? Is it a conscious thing? Is it just naturally who you are? Um, I think it's a mix of probably a lot of different things. I feel like for me, a lot of, a lot of the music that I've always loved or one big role that I think music has always played for me has been to make me feel more confident. And so, like, I think, I don't know if I, if I was like a junior or senior when, I think junior, when Katy Perry's Teenage Dream album came out. And one thing that, that was like my favorite album for forever. And I loved that for her, she had songs about being really strong, about being really confident. But then even when she was even when she's talking about personal things it felt like it was from a very confident stance and so I think that was something that at that point I was like oh yeah if I if I need to be pumped up because of this conversation I need to have or because I'm feeling down today and I just need to feel more encouraged like I can put on this album and listen to this song or if I need to be vulnerable but still feel confident in myself while I'm being vulnerable, I can listen to Pearl or whatever other track from that album. And so that's something that I've definitely tried to bring with me in the music that I make is if it, I want there to be songs where people can just listen to it and immediately feel confident. And then also if someone is going through, going through a heartbreak or going through whatever, that they can listen to a song and identify with it and still feel strong about themselves. I think um, I just am a big fan of songs that speak like speak positivity over you, speak strength over you. Um, and so I think that's definitely something I've written into a lot of my songs and I try to I try to feel that way in general about life. And so I think that also comes through in the music. Yeah. So you're also super passionate about women in entertainment being able to have the same kind of work-life balance and autonomy as men do. And so what inspired that for you? And, and how do you how does that work in your life and your career? Yeah. So I feel like this is not something I've talked about with very many people. And so hopefully what I say makes sense. Um, but I think that when I moved here, I was single. I was single for like the my first six or seven years here 
And um, I think there's certain parts of this that I'm like, I don't know how much of it is in my head. I don't know how much of it is actually coming from people or not. But I think sometimes being single, it felt like, okay, these, I feel like I don't have to do anything sketchy or anything like that. But I feel like it makes me seem young. And so people will give me more opportunities because it does seem like for women in the industry, not always, but it seems like there can be more of a pressure to be young. And um, so I think that as life progresses, it's like we get in relationships, we get married, we have kids. Like if you want to do those things, I just feel like if you want to do those things, you should be able to do those things and not have that hinder your opportunities or hinder how people see your talent and your creativity as if that's changed because of what phase of life you're in because I remember I was my now husband I was scared to even start officially dating him because I was like oh well am I gonna look less marketable which partially is just on me for even caring that much about that and not just being like confident in where I was at in life at the time um but I have to think, I'm like, if I felt that way, surely I can't be the only person who has felt that way. And I remember having a conversation with him when we were like early on dating. I was like, well, just so you know, like we are not ever getting married until like I'm a huge star because I don't want, <laughs> I don't want the reason that I'm not famous to be because I am married. Yeah. And he was just kind of like, okay, like, if that's how you feel, like, I'm going to respect that. And um, I, so when I think about some of that stuff, I'm like, now some of it sounds silly because I am in a different phase of life. But at the same time, I think that came from somewhere. Like, I think we see a lot of men who are married with kids get famous after they are married. Like, they've already had kids, they've already been married, and they can still get famous. And I think there are just a lot less females that become famous post being married, post having kids. Um, because I think maybe we're like, oh, they, they seem less marketable because they seem older or something like yeah. that. I don't yeah. know for sure. but Or how is she going to do it on the road with all those kids? <laughs> well, there's a, there's a really big shift that happens too with having kids, with women and... I remember getting a call from Mickey Guyton when she found out she was pregnant and she's talked about this publicly too, that she was, she was panicking because she thought this is going to ruin my career. Mm-hmm. I'm, how am I going to do this? It's going to ruin my career and I'm not going to get any opportunities right when things are starting to roll for me. And we've talked to Emily Shackleton in season one, similar thing. She had this panic about becoming pregnant and when we adopted our second baby and it kind of came out of nowhere and we we were you know offered this chance to adopt and can you do it in a few days you know I went into my publishing company and cried and I was like I want to be a songwriter but I want to be a mom too and I don't know if I can do both and and I think it was because I had a woman publisher specifically that she knew what that looked like she had been a single mom that ran a business Um, and she, this is Suzanne Strickland from Rare Spark. So kudos to you, Suzanne. She knew to, she said to me, women do it all the time. They can balance it. You can balance it. I did it. You will too. And she said, if you need to bring that baby into the office and set up a pack and play for the first few months, then bring her in and I'll take care of her while you write. Mm. And I can't really picture I mean, maybe it would happen, but I can't picture a male publisher even just knowing to say that, right? It's like the fact that she knew that that was what might be needed and offered that was huge. And, And having that kind of allyship from woman to woman, having a woman in a position of power helping a woman who's coming into motherhood, who's been in that place before, that was so necessary in that moment for me. And so, yeah, it's it really is a double standard kind of struggle at all these different levels in in the business. And I think we're just sort of carving our way now into how it should be okay for for us and how we should not have to panic when we're doing these, having these milestones in our lives and, and the things that mean we're getting older. 
Yeah. No, that's a, that's so cool to hear. I'm glad that that was your experience with your publisher because that's awesome. Yeah, because I, I think it's cool to see people like Mickey Guyton, like, doing it and doing it so well and I that's so encouraging and inspiring to me like oh yeah I think about pink too like yeah. pink up on stage singing p- pregnant I mean and it's sexy yeah like <laughs> yeah totally. and even yeah. now Halsey is so wonderfully embracing her pregnancy she's putting it out there she's so excited I think especially I think in pop it's a little more accepted now and I I hope I think country is following suit but I think it's becoming a point of pride. I mean, Cardi B, Nicki Minaj, like all of these people are like, I'm having babies at the top of my game and I'm getting bigger and I don't care. Mm-hmm. Um, Beyonce's is, covers, yes. magazine covers. Oh my gosh. And also just all of the ways that she announced her pregnancies. Can yes. we just, she was the, the jacket flop over the belly the first time. I was like, oh, oh my gosh, amazing. Um, but I, I wanted to touch back real quick on something that you said because I think I'd always known it subconsciously and never really thought about it, which is the idea of even just getting into a relationship, let alone getting married in this town. Because I was thinking, you know, I have some friends here that are just a couple of years older than me um, and are married or engaged. And I remember thinking when I first moved to town a couple of years ago, permanently after traveling back and forth, meeting people that were like around my age married and me going like, oh, I I never even thought about getting married because not even just my career, I'm someone that I know will get married a little bit later, but anytime someone was married or in a relationship, it did in my mind, which is just kind of like patriarchal conditioning, I guess, of like, how, oh, well then I guess you just don't have as much time to go out and do stuff or as much leeway to write or whatever. And that sucked. It took me a while to get out of it, but... Um, it still is something that I can see on people's faces or I have friends that will omit their relationship status or engagement or marriage when we are out networking with people because I know that they know that that person is probably going to be like, oh, well, if you're married, then you're already kind of past a milestone and we're not going to bother. Like, it really is something that people think about and it's so stupid, but it's a, again, a chicken or the egg thing. Victoria and I talk about this a lot in different episodes of like, what comes first? Someone saying that you couldn't do it or someone, you know, being like, oh yeah. And how much of that was someone just, just being like, yeah, I feel like now that I'm married, I want to take a step back. Not everybody wants to. Um, so I love that you brought that up because honestly, I'd never consciously really thought about that before. And it also makes me curious because your, your publishers, like we talked about are mostly women and A good amount of them are in great relationships. Some of them have kids. They are doing life and still completely embracing their professional side. Is that something that you look at and go, okay, this is like a roadmap for me when I do want to have kids now that I'm married, all that stuff. Does that, is that encouraging to see? Because I feel like prescription is always something where I see everybody's kids around and everybody's partners and it's really embraced as a part of the company culture. Yeah, no, definitely. I think... At the time, I was still nervous because I was like, oh, well, yeah, they're doing it, but they're on the industry side. And me as an artist and as a writer, I feel like that's different somehow because I have to be worried about like how marketable am I and how are different industry people going to see me? Um, Not that I have to worry about that, but I know that's something that I have worried about and still do to a certain level. Um... But, I mean, I was even nervous. I remember thinking, like, okay, well, I think we might be getting engaged soon and being nervous and thinking, like, I need to have a conversation with my publisher about it before it happens so Uh she's not too scared. (laughs) Yeah. I remember, like, thinking that. And then I didn't – I think I didn't do it because I, like, was too nervous or something. And then we got engaged and they were, like, all so excited and, like, gave me a gift right away and, like, were so sweet about it. I was like, oh, Like, I had in my head that this was going to be, like, a uh uh-oh, like, sucks for you kind of (laughs) thing. And instead, it was so celebrated, which was very encouraging. I know that feeling, that feeling in your gut, like, this thing is coming and everybody's going to react negatively to it. Yeah. And how do I prepare them? (laughs) Oh, wow. I love that. Well, I also wanted to ask, because you mentioned when we were kind of talking a little bit beforehand, that you function as your own manager, label, etc. And I think that is so 
powerful. I know a lot of women who don't talk about it. I've done it myself who function as their own manager. I've even used pseudonyms, male pseudonyms, and noticed an immediate difference of asking for the same things, giving the same explanations and being taken completely for face value as a man. Um, and as, as an, especially as an artist, I think it's a double whammy when you're female and you're an artist and you're trying to negotiate and advocate for yourself. But how, what is your experience with that been like um especially because you are so knowledgeable and do people kind of not think that you know what you're doing and try and take advantage of that or has it been pretty easy to navigate um I think it's been a mix of both there's definitely been scenarios where maybe whatever label has wanted to they've sent me a contract of like oh we want to make an offer to sign you or to sign this project or whatever and I'll like see it and be like this is a joke (laughs) like this contract is so horrible. I would be signing away my life and get nothing for it. And I just kind of think in that moment, I'm like, do they, do they just think I have no idea? And they're assuming that I'm like, sure, you like my music. Let me sign my life and the income for the rest of my life away to you. Um, and so there's definitely been moments of that where I'm like, I know, like, I know I'm running a lot of my, not all of it, but I'm like, I know I'm running certain parts of my career, like the management side and that. But I thankfully know enough to know if a deal is really sucky. And I have an amazing lawyer that is very helpful with that kind of stuff anyways. Um, But I think doing some of those different roles on my own, I feel like is only possible because of working with awesome people in other areas. Like having having a lawyer that is amazing... His name is Matt Cottingham, and he's... my lawyer. Cheered... Oh, I love him. (laughs) He's, like, cheered me on since... um, I guess when I was about to get signed with my publisher, they were like, okay, you're going to need a lawyer for the contract. And I met him during that time. I met a few different people, and I ended up working with him. And he has just been so encouraging and, like, worked for me when I was making no money and that's when I'm like okay well then I know you believe in me because (laughs) you're putting in hours and making nothing um and I'm like those are the people that I definitely want like when I'm making money I'm like sweet I'm happy to pay you because you have like put in the hours when you did not need to um but having people like him having the amazing sync team at prescription and just people like that running their side and doing it very well, I think has given me room to do the parts that I know how to do. Like for as long as, if it's not the right manager, I don't want to work with someone just to work with someone to be bossed around and to give my money to. That makes no sense. So I'm like, I would rather do those roles until I find the right people. Um, And I think having other team members that are, whether it's my lawyer, he's willing to jump on an email thread that maybe normally a lawyer wouldn't, but because he knows I don't have a manager, he's willing to jump in and help a little bit here. And my publisher does the same. And so I think that's thanks to them. It's kind of given me room to do those parts somewhat on my own. So I just learned something totally new, Sarah, when you said that you had used a male pseudonym. I didn't know that. And I think that is so cool and so interesting that you did that. <laughs> yes. And um, it reminded me of um, one of my co-writers, Tia Sillers, absolutely incredible songwriter. She wrote I Hope You Dance and a ton of other number one songs. And uh, she got so frustrated working behind the scenes in Nashville as a songwriter, as a woman specifically, and not getting her songs recorded because she was writing songs, trying to write for men, writing these amazing songs for men, and they didn't record them because, you know, it's like, so she said, I'm going to start putting a male pseudonym on my songs. And she chose the most male name that she could possibly think of. It was Guy Manson. <laughs> Guy Manson's Guy Manson songs uh, around and, and getting cuts on on dudes because Guy Manson wrote. Ooh, Guy Manson wrote that song. What a, so he, who could be any manlier than Guy Manson? That oh, that is so clever because I was like, yeah, I got it from a a woman on TikTok saying that she has a, an assistant because she's in a corporate job. She has an assistant and it's a male name, and her assistant handles all her negotiations now does the same thing she used to do, but now her assistant gets no pushback 
from her oh. subordinates where she used to get pushback. Wow. I just like, I was like, yes, even the people in the industry, I say this and half the women are like, oh yeah, I've done that for years. And half the women are like, I've never thought of this. I'm going to use this. If you get an email from Kyle, it's me. Like, so I was like, yes, amazing. That's so That's funny. Great. I love that. So anime, tell us about, you're making a, a new full length album, right? You're working on some new music and it's different from anything that you've done before. It's a little different. Tell us about it. Yeah. So as I had said earlier, I'm trying to figure out what genre and all of that. Um, I think when I started having fully recorded stuff was mainly when I started getting into sync because that's when I was working with producers so that was helpful. I was working with so many different people, whether it was sync or super pop or all different directions. And so I was hearing myself on tons of like Finnish songs and a lot of them I thought this is really cool, but sometimes it maybe the production isn't exactly still how I would what would be my dream production or else maybe the song wasn't my dream song, but it had like ended up sounding really cool. Um so it's just kind of been an ongoing journey, I would say. And then over quarantine, I really just took a step back from music altogether for a couple of months and did the thing I think a lot of us did. I was like, do I even want to do music anymore? Like, would I be happier doing something else? And just thinking through a lot of those things. And I think when I took all the pressure off, I finally picked up a guitar again and started writing by myself, which... I feel like I hadn't done in like four or five years practically um, because I've just been co-writing all the time, which is awesome. But I think I had forgotten a lot of what are maybe like my specific talents and what is my writing voice. I'd just forgotten a lot of those things. And so when I started writing by myself again, they're just acoustic songs. I was like, man, like this, it feels like it's clicking. It feels like it's clicking even more than you know, maybe 10 years ago when I was doing this, because now I've learned so much from the people I've written with that I can bring into my own personal writing session. And um, so I was working on some of those songs and sort of by the end of last year, I'd either started a lot or finished some full songs. I was like, man, I just love these. And I think that I have a vision for what a whole project, a whole album would be with these songs. I was like, man, if I could find the right producer, it'd be the first time having having like a song I wrote 100% on my own produced in the way I wanted. I was like, that's always been the dream. I just have not known how to do that. Um, and it's kind of a roundabout story, but me and my husband bought a house in East in October. Both sides of us, there's Airbnbs. But on the one side, after we were here for a month, there was a couple sitting out front and I'd seen them there for a little bit so I was like are you guys do do you live here or what is this um they're like it's an Airbnb but we but we've just been staying here for a little bit we own the house we're remodeling a different house and the guy was like I'm a producer my studio's in the backyard so even when we're not staying here I come and work out the studio every day so then I looked him up and we realized like oh we have so many mutual friends I'm shocked we hadn't already worked together. Um, his name is Kaysen Cooley. And so then him and my husband started hanging out a little bit just because next door, neighbors. Um, and through that, me and Kaysen ended up sitting down just because we're like, we're probably going to end up getting put on a session together anyways. Let's just talk about where we're both at with music. And so I explained to him... It's like, this is my vision. It felt like the first time I could go into something and be like, I've had so much time. I've had all of 2020 to think about this. Like, here's my vision. This is what I want to make. This is what I want it to be. Um, as sure as I could be without actually, you know, starting to record the production on something. And me and him really clicked on a lot of, a lot of different things. He understood a lot of my influences and... Um, so he's like, let's start with a few songs and just see if we even like working together. And if we do, we can do more. And so I think in March was when we started working on the first few songs, but it's been really exciting and encouraging because it's been the first time of getting songs. Some of them I've written by myself. Some of them I've co-written with people. Um, but they're like, they sound 
how I want them to sound. They're the songs that I want to sing. I get scared. I get terrified of performing, but I'm like, oh, but these ones feel like me. So that makes even performing sound so much more fun because I feel like I can go on stage and be myself. What a cool story. What a cool connection. It's like, I love when, when it's, when you have the time to focus on what you want and sort of be in it, it's like the universe manifested this for you and brought the person right next door mm-hmm. who was there all along right mm-hmm. next door. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. Yeah. I love so that. I literally walk through the backyard into his studio and we work on stuff. So it's been really fun. It's just it's not like drastically different than like everything, but it, I've made, but it's probably, you know, take some of, take some of the sync stuff, take some of this style I've done and this, um, and a lot of what I grew up listening to and mixes it all together. And I love that you, you spoke about being really terrified of performing. I have really bad stage, right? That I thankfully have like managed and everything. And I love performing, but I also get really nervous as well. And I found the same thing that when it was, stuff that was not just a great song that I'd written, but that felt like me as an artist, I, I am fine. Like I, it's totally fine. But when I'm playing a song that I love that I've written, that maybe is more country or, or something that is just not for me, but I'm performing it. I get really nervous. I'll forget my words. I'll like do all this stuff. And then my artist stuff, I'm like, Oh yeah, we're, we're fine. So I love that. That speaks volumes about your passion for this project and how much it is authentically you and I'm so excited to hear these songs me too thanks I'm excited it feels like the like passion project of my life so it's fun to be working on it right now okay so here's our rapid fire questions if you could ask God or the universe higher power whatever you want to call it a question what would it be I think it would be like what is it actually like after we die <laughs> which is, I, I don't mean to sound like in a morbid way but I just am always so curious about that I'm like I personally believe in heaven but I'm like I have no idea what the heck it's gonna be like I'm so curious because I think I think if I knew more about that it'd like put our life on earth in perspective a little bit my five-year-old gets really mad at me when I can't answer her questions <laughs> specifically about that she gets really wait mom you're supposed to know everything I usually I usually go well what do you think (laughs) then then she comes back with something amazing it's not too long until she gets old enough to come home from school and be like you're not supposed to answer a question with the question (laughs) yeah right so (laughs) she'll nail me on that at some point all right question two if you could clone yourself and live a different life what would the other you want to be and do Um, I think I would want to be some kind of fashion designer stylist in Paris. That was, I always loved designing clothes when I was little. I had like a huge binder of like these designs I made. And so that was kind of like in another life, I would move over there. I'm learning French right now. I started this year because I was like, I still want to tap into that side of that other Amazing. What are you using to learn French? Duolingo. Oh, I've heard that's it's, good. It's like been really helpful and easy. Just nice little app to use. So easy. All right. What is one thing that people don't know about you? As much as writing is fun to me, like the dream for me has never been to just be a writer. And so even though that's like kind of what I've spent a lot of time is writing every day, it's like not my not always my favorite thing I'm like I would rather sing or write some or write like with specific people for a specific purpose but I don't love just writing to write I guess and I think so many people feel that way but feel weird about saying that yeah all right what's your favorite thing about yourself probably that I've always as I mentioned earlier like always tried to lean into understanding what I think and what I feel and so I think that I started journaling when I was a young age and being outside I feel like I love that about myself because doing those things has helped love me more because it's helped me identify like oh I I can be more confident and I love feeling this way or I love music and I feel like I can do this I think all that has come from come from hiking and come from journaling do you feel like your journals are something that someone 
else should read someday or are they the kind of thing that are just for you and will probably end up in a bonfire at the end of your life <laughs> i told my husband i was like burn these when i die but he's yeah. like no like no we can't do that like no like these are for my my eyes it's like oh. they need to they need to be a safe space for you to express because yeah. if, if somebody read my journals they would think i was the angriest bitchiest yeah. person I know. Just complaining. I know. I'm like, I feel like it would just ruin everyone's idea of me if they read them yeah. someday. What advice would you give to the younger you? Do what feels natural to do in music or in whatever without second guessing it and needing everyone else's opinion. I think sometimes I wonder if I've taken like a detour to getting to certain places in my career and my life because I've wondered like oh but I haven't seen other people do it that way I need to s- why haven't they done it that way is that that's probably because I'm doing something wrong and then it's like years later I come back to doing what I was doing in the first place I'm like oh no that was natural to me then and it still is I should have just gotten for it that way yeah yeah that's great that's great awesome. advice Well, thank you. This has been amazing. It's been great talking with you. And I'm so excited to hear your new music. Thank you. Please keep us posted and we'll tag you when it comes out on socials and stuff and share it with everyone. Sounds like it's a very special project when you get a chance to sit in your own creativity Mm -hmm. for a while like that and just listen to it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for sharing. Y'all have been so great and made this so fun and easy. To stay up to date on all things The Table on social media, join us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at the handle at sign the table women. Our theme song, Stop You, is written and performed by yours truly, Sarah DeFores, co-written by Taylor Foley and Will Macbeth, and produced by Will Macbeth. And as always, we'll include links to any creatives, music, television, etc. referenced in this episode in the episode notes. We'll see you next time on... The The table. Do what you want, work what you got, say what you think, and don't let them stop you. Stop you, don't let them stop. Stop you, don't let them stop you.